everybody. Welcome to another episode of Topical Brainstorm. My name is Christian. I'm here with Garrett. Here with Garrett. Uh, and we are covering the last, basically the last section of Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull about Pixar. And uh, yeah, just two chapters today, so it should be pretty quick. But uh, it's been a while. You got any updates to give to the to our uh, dedicated listeners? Yes. Um, my first update is that y'all need to listen to the last episode we published. It's not this one because for some reason, every time I edit an episode, it gets like 20 downloads. And every time Christian edits one, it gets a couple hundred, which is very frustrating. So listen to not only this episode, but go back and listen to part three. So that's my first update. My second update is we, Michaela and I bought a house, which is a lot of, a lot of fun. So we close in like three weeks and then we'll be moving into our own place. So super awesome. It's in Clearfield or Layton? I think it's technically Layton. Layton. That's what I said. You said Layton. Whatever. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, it's exciting. Excited for you guys. It's a lot of work. Yeah. But at least you're not paying rent. Yeah. No more. We also, I mean, we picked a house that's pretty, everything in there is done. There's stuff we could do to it, but we'll probably leave it for a few years. But, yeah. Nice. Excited. That's exciting. That's big news. For sure. Uh, How are you doing on your habits? I haven't talked about that in a while. Oh, man. Not great. (laughs) This this habit app that we've discussed previously... Uh, I can see the last time Garrett checked in, and it was 80 days ago. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I will check in tomorrow. I sure hope so. You're at zero. Well, you actually have an exercise streak of plus two, two days in a row. Wow, that's pretty good. Because you just haven't marked no on any of the days. (laughs) You just left them neutral. Um, I probably should report my, my reading my scripture streak died, but I got to like 112 days or something and, uh, I'm still going pretty strong. I I only have a streak of maybe like 20, I have a streak of 19 days again right now, but I missed two days in August and one day in September. But, uh, yeah, I still feel like I've pretty successfully built that habit. So thanks. Um, James. What was his whole name? James, James Clear. James Clear. Yeah. That's embarrassing. We've only read like five <laughs> books in the last two years. I shouldn't be able to remember the authors. That's okay. Anyway. That's my report. All right. Well, today we are, like Christian said, discussing the last two <clears throat> chapters in this book uh, by Ed Catmull. The first chapter is chapter 12. It's called A New Challenge. And this chapter is about Steve 
telling Ed and John uh, that he was going to sell Pixar to Disney. And I really enjoyed the storyline that they brought forth. What are you? What are your impressions? Yeah, and this essentially happened because there's not Disney Animation had not produced any super successful movies in like twenty years. Because this was around what 2012, 2013 or something. Yeah, I think the last number one hit movie had been like. Um, well, so Steve was oh, looking was to sell years? them in two thousand and five. Okay. Yeah, I'm so off. Right. I'm off by ten years. Shortly over. I think it had been. It was Lion King in like 1996 had been their last number one movie. Yeah. So maybe it was just ten years. Um, but still, that's a long time. And I, I looked back at the movies that had come out during those ten years, and there were there were some that I really liked as a kid. Like I think Mulan came out. But then there were a lot of ones that like I had heard of and maybe seen once, but weren't like favorites of mine. You know. And not that Mulan's a favorite. Yeah, there were just like weren't any movies, even though I grew up during that stage, that were like favorites of mine from those 10 years. And uh, I wish I had remembered the list. I guess we could look it up. But um, So yeah, the big challenge was for them to bring Disney animation up to the same level as Pixar. But they also wanted to do it in a way where they kept the cultures separate. So they had like two different cultures, two different studios that weren't mirrors of each other. So they didn't want to just come in and take over Disney and force all of their ideas upon the Disney people. But they did realize that Disney had to change. And this chapter is really about a lot of things they had to do to, to basically fix Disney studios. And they were successful in the end. But yeah, it was, it was an interesting process. Um, and interesting, the things that he kind of implemented at Disney and the things that he didn't force upon the workers at Disney as well. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing that stood out to me right away in this chapter was the whole thought process of even selling it to Disney in the first place. Because, uh, what's his face? that owned it. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs did not like the Disney CEO. And then that guy left and the new CEO came in uh, who was, I believe, Bob Iger. Sounds right. And Steve and Bob got along really well. And that just shows me that if you're, <clears throat> you're going to trust somebody with something that you had a hand in building... You have to, at the very least, have a working relationship with that person. It helps if you like that person. And a big thing that Bob did when he bought um, bought Pixar from, well, when he bought Pixar, was he didn't force any of Disney's views onto Pixar either, which is something that... Uh, that Steve and Ed both pushed for. It was one of the the conditions of Disney buying Pixar. And in return, it was really cool of Ed, when he was made the manager of both Pixar and Disney, 
uh, Disney Animation to not force anything upon them. Although he did bring many things over from Pixar to Disney, such as uh, he created their own form of the Brain Trust at Disney. And he did a lot of things that were similar, but not quite the same. I think the first thing he did when he got there was uh, remodel a lot of the workspaces and a lot of the cubicles. Or, I don't know if they're cubicles, but just the workspace to have it more of a of a friendly environment where people could interact more. Uh, I think that also goes a long way. Yeah, he talked about the first day he showed up at Disney Studios, all the desks were really well organized and clean and uniform. And he found out as he walked through, it's because their boss told them to tidy up for Ed, who I guess was the new boss, tidy up for the new boss. And that was kind of a red flag for Ed because he felt like that wasn't cohesive for a creative team, right? They had to be free to express themselves and not be afraid of of uh, upsetting the boss. Something like that is how he put it. Yeah. Right. And I think he's right. Yeah. And that was something that he stressed about Pixar is he's really given them freedom to decorate their space the way they want to. I think at one point he talked about, or maybe this was like an article I, I read about Pixar, but there are a couple people who have like built castles around their desks. Like just really <laughs> going all out <laughs> and decorating their desks. Intense. I don't think that was in the book. No? So. Uh, well... I may have made that up. Maybe I had a dream about that once. I don't know. But um, maybe, maybe at least that was the imagery that is in my brain from wherever I heard or read that. But anyway, that was interesting to me because I don't I don't think I would walk through an office that was really clean and organized and, and be worried about it, right? But in the creative world, at least, that makes a lot of sense that that, that indicates that the culture is you know, worried about upsetting your superiors, which does not breed creativity and let people feel comfortable in bringing forward new ideas. Yeah, and I think, especially in a creative environment, if you can't even, if, so if decorating your own space that you're at all the time is going to piss your boss off, why would you go to your boss about anything? If you have a good idea or any idea at all, why would you talk to your boss about that? If I don't know, it just makes sense to me. It's something small that you can do to encourage your employees and let them know that you care about them. Um, yeah. What do you think that the what do you think made both Dick, uh, Disney and Pixar? successful at this time of the merger i think i mean i think that the culture they built at pixar was really key to their success and obviously the talent they had but the fact that bob Iger, who owned disney animation studios or was the whatever his title was that him well, really, I think he was vital because, like you said, he kind of met with Ed and John and decided to make them the, the – I can't remember the titles that people have, but he made them 
the manager or whatever. He he put them in charge. Yeah, he, he put <laughs> of, them in charge of, of both of Disney, and like you said, he didn't enforce anything on Pixar because if something's working, don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? So yeah, the fact that he was that open minded was huge, and then the fact that Ed and John were open minded enough to go to Disney and slowly incorporate good things and take away bad things without just forcing Pixar's culture upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those were, were very key. And they, they obviously had a very good model and were the right people at the right time in Pixar. And it, it translated over to Disney. And you can tell by some of the films that have come out from Disney animation since then, right? And that was a part, another part that I really liked about this chapter is he goes through their first couple films. And one of them was... Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Which that one wasn't a success in Ed's mind because it wasn't the number one hit or whatever. But he thinks it was a really good story and he he explains how one of the mistakes he thinks they made is that they put the word princess in the title, which yes. which which alienated all the boys who didn't want to go see a movie about a princess, right? Yeah. Which is interesting to me. It is interesting. Well, not only that, but he also talks about the mistake of, so that was the mistake, not listening to the marketing people because they advocated for not having Princess in the title. That's right. But there was that, but he also released it uh, within days of another movie, Avatar. Avatar, that's what it was. One of the highest grossing movies of all time. Yeah. So of course your movie's gonna not be suffer performing well when it comes out the same week as avatar that's right but um yeah i thought that was really interesting i also think that there are a lot of challenges that come along with with mergers Uh, we talked about what made pixar and disney successful this time but just i just think of every little problem that would come up during a merger and during this one Ed even talks about how his employees would always, anytime something would change that uh, came from Pixar's leaders, the employees would push back and be like, well, you told us that things weren't going to change, even though Disney bought us. So they had a hard time implementing changes that were needed um, because there was always pushback because people thought it was coming from Disney rather than them. Mm-hmm. which I think is one small challenge. I think most companies just have the the challenge during a merger of uh, a lot of bureaucracy coming in. Things are just different, uh, which people don't respond well to change, in my experience. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What other challenges do you think come with a merger? I, I agree with what you said. I'm feeling that right now with my job as we were talking before we started recording. But I feel like, and my company got acquired recently, semi-recently from a huge European country. And it does just feel like things are getting more bureaucratic. It feels like I matter less because it's a huge company now. I feel like anything that I would try to petition for or change is just like going to fall on deaf ears. And, and and I haven't even been at this company very long, but like I just get that vibe. So I, I get that. And at the same time, I'm sure some of the changes they're making are needed and good. 
but I I don't like change and I'm stuck in my ways and I've only been there a year. So I can just I can imagine I can only imagine how difficult that would be to come in and, and make those changes. And he talks about specifically he talks about one employee who seemed really smart, but they were so stuck in their ways that they had to let him go. Yeah, this was a Disney employee. A yeah. Disney employee who just didn't want to take any of Pixar's changes. Well, it was a high-ranking Disney yes. employee, like a, one of the executives. Some sort of director or executive, yeah. Yeah, and they just, they really liked the guy, but he it, wouldn't listen to anything that he, they'd say, and there was always pushback, so they just cut him loose. Cut him loose. And then, along with that, he gives a good example of, I think, someone in HR who came in with, like, a super detailed plan wanting to lay out the next, like, three years or the next year of the company and what they needed to do. And, and it was along what Ed Catmull had laid out, so it was, it was good. But it was so detailed that Ed had to explain how sometimes detailed plans like that are wrong because it limits the possibilities. It limits your thinking so you don't think of where you could end up or how things might change and you won't you'll be less flexible to change in the future which i thought was a, a good story and a good reminder for all of us that even super well-laid plans don't always work out you well, know? that's my <clears throat> philosophy for life and i think it drives michaela crazy because she's a <laughs> huge planner and i'm the opposite of that i don't i hardly plan anything and uh She's wearing off on me a little bit because obviously you need to have some sort of plan. Yeah. But I do think that it's very valid to say that when your plan is set in stone and you're not willing to change, you're going to miss out on a lot of things, a lot of possibilities. And you're just, at that point, kind of closed-minded. So, you know, stay open. Have flexible plans. Yeah. Kylie's also like that. Even right here, we've got a five-year plan that she wants to update every once in a while, and she gets way into it. Why? I don't know. Because, like, every time we go back to it, we have to change, like, almost everything. <laughs> Which is funny. But, um, but she loves the idea of, like, having a plan, you know? Which I, I agree is, is sometimes sometimes feels a little pointless. But I see the, I see the value in it, and I... I do think you need to plan things. You're, you have to have a goal and an aim. You're never going to get anywhere. But if you're not flexible or willing to change that at all, when new information shows up or when something out of your control changes, you're just going to be in trouble. Yeah. Well, I think it's way more... Because we've read Atomic Habits, I think it's way more useful to not think of the goal but rather think of think of a goal and then put more time and energy into how you're going going to get there rather than the goal itself you know but i don't know that's just my opinion yeah another point he touches on in this chapter is the movie bolt that uh um, yeah, another Disney movie that was one of the first ones they worked on and when they were still kind of getting Disney animation up to speed. And it took a couple of years, a couple of movies, till they really started producing high-quality work. But they talked about how 
they had had this Bolt character on four legs, I think, or two legs or whatever. And they were they were halfway through the movie, and then they decided they needed to change it for the sake of the story. And how the animators were like, that's going to take us six months because it's just, it's not a simple fix. You have to really recreate the whole character. It's going to, we're going to miss our deadline for the movie. <clears throat> and then they're all really stressed about it. And then over the weekend, two or three animators worked all weekend and they re-rigged the, sorry, the hamster character. I don't know if I said it was a hamster, but the hamster character in that movie. They re-rigged that animation and fixed the whole problem in three days. And the point he kind of uh, makes with that story is that sometimes we get so preoccupied with making the perfect solution that it, it takes way too long. And in the end, it's just not the right way to go. Because if you can create a solution that works well enough in three days, you still have so much time after that to work out the errors and the kinks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a mindset that is very beneficial in, in creative stuff, sure, but in life and in business. It's just like sometimes you find a solution and you move ahead with it. And if you do that fast enough, there will be time to correct it as you go and figure things out. Yeah. And the reason why everybody at Disney was saying it was going to take so long to fix was because the culture at Disney was focused on preventing errors rather than getting it done and then fixing fixing what you can. Because um, once it's done, it's a lot easier to fix things rather than do it once all the way through without any without any errors, which is why, you know, that makes sense. That's why we have first drafts. And Rough drafts. Yeah, pretty much every class you ever take, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and that was a big part of the culture that. Had to go. That took them a few years, but they realized they had to change that. And that mirrored Pixar, right? But they, um, they, I think, did a good job at not making the animation studios identical. Yeah. And, uh. Then after after a couple of those films, Bolt did okay, I think, but then they produced Wreck-It Ralph and Tangled, uh, which I think were huge hits, and, yeah. like, and Frozen also. And even the one that just came out, which is not talked about in this book, but what was the last Disney movie that came out? The uh, It was based in Columbia, The Family. What was it called? Uh, the, the, there was a house that was alive. and Oh, I think I thought that was in Mexico. Encanto. Encanto. Or No, it was Columbia. Coco. No, Coco. that's Coco's Pixar. Coco's Coco. Pixar, but that yeah. one's Mexico. That, that was good. That was a good movie. Anyway, they started producing these movies that I feel like are, are I mean, Ed thought they were higher quality, and I think I agree with him. Like, agree. Those are just good movies. I mean, I can't name a movie between Lion King and, I mean, I, I you guess You would, you would know them I if guess. I... If I Googled it real quick, but um, maybe I should. Oh, I'll Google, do it. Yeah. <clears throat> Disney animation movies. Okay. Uh, fun, fun fact, though. They changed 
Um, they didn't name Tangled anything with the name Rapunzel in it because of the lesson they learned on Princess and the Frog. Okay, Lion King, 1994. A goofy movie. Okay, that which, one was good. Like, yeah, but like I don't think it did Pocahontas that well. was 95. Pocahontas. Okay, that's Pixar. James and the Giant Peach. Not a huge hit. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Well, that's okay. no, that's like a sequel. Oh, that's the Enchanted, Enchanted Christmas. Christmas. Hercules, Hercules surprised me because I love that movie. That is. Good. But then Lion King two, Pocahontas two, Mulan. I like Tarzan, but that wasn't a number one hit. Yeah. Dinosaur was kind of a flop. Little Mermaid two. I'd Emperor's say Dinosaur New was a huge flop. Yeah, Emperor's New Groove again. Okay, so maybe I was dishonest when I said I didn't love any of the movies, but. Um, like Kylie would never seen Emperor's New Groove. Really? Until the, until we watched it a little while ago. Anyway, just a lot of sequels. A lot of sequels. A lot of movies that see that one. Atlantis. On ah, tomatoes, pretty, but I like that okay. movie. Anyway, Recess pulls out. That movie's see, hilarious. I haven't seen that one. But like Treasure Planet, I don't know. Lilo and Stitch, I liked. Anyway, a lot of these are super like. They're all, they're all sequels. They're Bear all... Terrible ratings. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, but just like not super... Mo- the majority of those movies are not super just creative. Derivative not, story, yeah, you know? yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I think Ed was successful in fixing Disney animation, and I honestly think they're doing better than Pixar with these movies the last couple of years. I think so. Well, I mean, Pixar has had one flop ever, though. Cars two. Uh, that was still a number one movie. When I have out. I have the stats here of, of some things. I think the flop on on Rotten Tomatoes, Cars two is by far their worst movie. Yeah, both critics and audience. I think you're talking about Lightyear though. Yeah, Lightyear yeah. was the only one that came out that wasn't didn't come out at number one. Yeah, Lightyear which is, bad this is year. surprising that Cars two still did. Because I think at just, least maybe maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe rolled over the nostalgia from Cars One. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. He talked about how they had never not produced a number one hit when he wrote this book in like 2015 or whatever. So. Yeah. So maybe it was, but but there's a lot of different metrics to rate these movies, I suppose. Regard, irregardless, uh, Tangled, Frozen, just good movies, and um, I liked that they they. Um, he threw in the fact that they didn't use the word princess in those movies to not turn away all the little boys who wanted to see those movies because they're pretty good, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, let's talk about chapter 13. Notes Day. So, <clears throat> apparently, Pixar was going through a time where they were having a, um, a difficult... Uh, I'm going to use the word time too much. <laughs> they were, were going through a difficult time trying to create uh, a culture that they once had of um, innovation and, uh, I don't know, how would you describe it? Yeah, they just felt like they were probably getting stagnant. Yeah. Fresh ideas and that culture of not being afraid to make mistakes, right? Yeah, and, like, just having good ideas and doing them. So, to combat this, 
Ed and a bunch of other, I don't know if they were executives or managers or, or what specific titles they held, but they went on a retreat and one guy was like, well, why don't we just ask the employees what would make this place better? And everyone just kind of stopped and they thought and they were like, wow, what a great insightful idea. We should just ask everybody what they think. And we should come up with a way to get their honest feedback. And we should come up with a, a way to where they'll just love it and enjoy talking with each other and meet new people. And it'll be so Pixar. So Pixar. That's what Andrew Stanton said. <coughs> yeah, and I, I don't think that that in itself was a groundbreaking idea. But the way they implemented it was pretty impressive. Yeah, honestly, I agree. Yeah. Um, I just realized I'm too close to the I'm mic, and I'm probably going to be loud, and you're going to be too quiet. Um, but they they really put a lot of time and thought into preparing this, and they made it a whole day. So everyone had the day off of their regular working duties, and they they did a thing where they put out an email or something and got a bunch of different responses of ideas. And then they kind of condensed those into different groups and subgroups. And, and they trained people on how to lead these little meetings throughout the day um, on these topics to get different responses. And they had like sheets with questions to fill out at the end of each class they and were tailor made to each session to each session and, and the employees from every part of the company were just mixed into these different classes that they got that their sessions that they signed up for so they got to pick the ideas that intrigued them the most mm -hmm. anyway just really well thought out right and i think it's obvious to be like yeah let's ask our employees what to do um but it I think it would make a huge difference if it really felt like the managers had put some time into the questions and that it was actually something that was going to be taken seriously. Like my company does this like email survey every month. Yeah. It's, it's just like the same questions every time. Wow. And I just like hardly care. Like, except when it comes to like, do you feel like you're paid enough when they give yeah. them a bad score and, and complain? That's like, it. that's what I do every month. Just because I feel like the more people complain, the sooner we'll get raises. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to do it in such a way where there's just like obviously thought put in, I think it was impressive. And it obviously was a good idea because they got a lot of good reviews from their employees about how much was learned and understood. And, and um, they just got a lot of good feedback. Yeah, and it's just the way they actually implemented the ideas that came from it. Because my company does the same thing. We, They send out a survey, they even gather us together, and then we talk about the survey. But then nothing changes. And the company is so big and so bureaucratic that our manager has no power to change anything anyway. So it's like, why are we doing this? This is stupid. So, I really loved this chapter. I loved what they did. I think if you own a company, especially a big one, you should think about doing something like this. Uh, not that any Fortune 500 
CEO is listening to this, but you know, maybe uh, a couple of them are. Uh, maybe one. Of, <laughs> you're editing it, so it's very likely. Hopefully, he's just read. Hopefully, that CEO, he or she, has read the book. Yes. <laughs> but just really well thought out, well done. You know, show it showed his employees that he cared about them. Uh, something I really enjoyed throughout the whole book is how there's different leaders at Pixar and they each have their own role. So Steve was the money guy and he also would make some suggestions, but he was smart enough to realize that he wasn't a storyteller. And then you had Ed, who was just a great manager, who would do anything for his employees to succeed. And then you have John, who is just the guy that is so inspirational to everybody. Which Creative. Yeah, creative, storyteller. He just understands the emotion in a story, and he understands how to get people to feel that emotion. Uh, I think I really enjoyed reading about John. Good job. Have you uh, heard anything about him lately, the last mm-hmm. couple of years? No. No? Yeah. We'll have to maybe cover that next episode. <laughs> <laughs> some, some scandalous stuff. Regardless, oh, really? that was one other thing about this chapter is they asked for feedback, like, personally, the, the those head honchos, like Ed, John, and John received some negative feedback, and so he kind of addressed it in front of the group at the very beginning of Notes Day, right? Or is that a different Yeah, chapter? no. no and right. he was just very, um, what's the word, candid and vulnerable. and vulnerable about that and how he was going to try to be better, and that also set the tone for the whole day according to Ed and according to a lot of the employees who made comments on it later. So that's another thing where if you're going to ask for real feedback, you got to be real with your employees or your subordinates. And um, I think that's another thing they, they probably did really well and maybe got just a little lucky on that day that it like created that environment. But um, no, I don't think it was luck. I think John yeah, knew what probably, he was doing. I'm probably giving him too little credit, but. Irregardless, that's, I think, a really good way to get feedback from people and make it so they feel like they can be honest and open, which is the only kind of feedback we're getting. So, yeah, it was a good chapter. And that wraps up the book, except for the epilogue, which we'll cover next time. It was a really good book. Yeah. Good suggestion. Uh, Dad. Dad. (laughs) So uh, we'll next week we'll have a next month next whenever we'll have a nice whenever Garrett does his reading. I've already done my reading. Oh, you're ahead of me for once. Yeah, the afterwards. So (laughs) we're we're gonna have a fun episode. We'll talk about the uh, epilogue in this book, and then we'll maybe talk about some Pixar movies. Maybe Uh, I'm prepared for that part. We are ranking our favorite and least favorite Pixar movies. Well, I don't know if you can rank the least favorite. I've now seen every Pixar movie. I had to watch the last, like, three this week. But, yeah. It'll be fun. So, please come back and listen, even though Garrett's going to be the editor. Maybe we'll talk about our next book as well. 
maybe. All right, thanks everybody.